Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, May 24th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're talking Royals today, and the news isn't good. They followed the most disappointing loss of the season. That was Sunday when they blew the 6-0 lead after seven innings and lost to the Twins with a loss on Monday at Arizona. In that game, the Royals scored four in the top of the first, three on solo home runs, but they fell 9-5. On today's show, beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell break down where things have gone wrong and what decisions face the Royals after the first quarter of the season. Is it time to, as Dayton Moore said about a decade ago, flip the switch and start rebuilding the rebuilding process? We talk about that and more on today's show, which started as a Sports Beat Live. Hey, good morning from rainy Kansas City. And welcome to Sports Beat Live, our weekly conversation about the Royals. We're sponsored by the University of Kansas Health System, and we'll hear from them later in the show. We hope to hear from you throughout the show, so please send along your questions and comments about the team that now stands with the Detroit Tigers as having the worst record in the AL Central and the third worst, third worst in uh, baseball. Columnist Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell are here, and so is beat writer Lynn Worthy, joining us from Arizona, where he covered a wild one last night, including the first pitch of the game. But uh, as well as it started off, uh, Whit Merrifield home run on the first pitch and three home runs in the first inning. It ended as the previous four did with a Royals loss. So, so the Royals dropped the first game of the second quarter of the season. The first quarter ended Sunday with, oh my, what a loss. Um, so last night in Arizona was terrible, but Sunday's loss may have been the season low. Are we in agreement here? Lynn, let's start with you since uh, you were at both of them. Um, as bad as last night was, blowing a 4 nothing lead after the Royals batted around the, fir- batted around the first, um, Sunday was as dispiriting as it gets. Yeah, I'd have to say so, especially the, the manner in which that happened with them, you know, having gotten an outstanding performance from Brady Singer, seven scoreless, and most of it with a, either, a, you know, no margin for error or one run lead. And then they finally give him some run support, five run inning. And they find a way leading uh, six nothing to lose it going into the eighth with a six run lead. Um, and and with and it wasn't one of those things where it was like, oh, they, they didn't have any of their guys and they were running out guys who probably shouldn't have been in those spots. It was their main guys, um, you know, on the mound for a good chunk of that. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's um, that's got to be about as tough a loss as they've had all season. Yeah, exactly. Um, you get the the great performance from Brady Singer, the second one in a row, we'll, and we'll talk about Brady in a little while. But to see uh, the bullpen struggle the way it did, especially Scott Barlow and Josh Stalmont, that was – um, that was so disappointing, and that it happened in the 40th game of the year. The uh, the, the game that, that Dayton Moore tends to uh, uh, indicate is a, uh, a, a the first you know, part of the, the first stop in the progress report of the team, and uh, to lose that one the way that they did just uh, just a crushing loss. So. Um, Let's do this. Uh, but before we get uh, Sam and Vahe to weigh in, let's let's hear what 
Uh, a loss like that sounds like from a player who had um, something to do with that loss, Josh Stallman. So here's what here's what Josh Stallman had to say. What are sort of the emotions that are wrapped up in a game like that, the changes like that? Probably the same emotions that fans feel. I mean, we're given everything we got. Uh, frustrations at the top, you know, a game like this where Brady throws. Everyone wants to do their job the best that they can. Um, everyone gives 100%. So to fall short in a game like this, uh, super frustrating. Um, there's just mental mistakes, some untimely walks compared to timely hitting. Uh, frustration is probably on the low end of this. We need this one today. And, you know, as a bullpen, we just didn't didn't do it for us the team. I mean, we all folks are probably the leading cause of a scoring inning. Um, I mean, just can't issue free passes. That's all it is. So, you know, it's, it's up to us. We know what to do. Um, going behind 2-0 on the first guy. It's a pretty tough situation. You don't want to give him something to hit, but you got to go after him. So, um, again, frustration. It's going to be the leading, leading win in this game. How do you guys regroup after a loss like that? We do 162 times a year. There's no other. There's no other way to get this job done consistently, unless you're consistent with your emotions. Um, if, if this is a, if these are rough seas, you can't ride the highs. Because they're going to lead the lows and, and vice versa. So, um, biggest thing for us is to get home, get our rest, do our job. Because you got to show up tomorrow and do it again. So that's that's all it is. I mean, I, again, I, each person that goes in that field, especially pitchers, you have a goal in mind at all times. Um, you're always trying to pick, especially if you're with guys on base. You're picking up the guy before you before you even think about anything that you're doing. Uh, big situation with bases loaded, things like that. Um, you got to establish first pitch strike, and you know we did that. And got those, you know, curveballs on the outside, and the rise a guy that doesn't punch out very often puts a lot of balls in play. You just got to be careful. So bases loaded, two outs. It's a, it's a hard thing. Those guys are moving. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to you know get that job done, but the job wasn't done. And, you know, I stepped up there the next inning and didn't finish it. So um, frustrating again. Yeah, tough loss. On Sunday for the Royals, it was the bullpen Sunday. It was starting pitcher Zach Greinke on Monday night, who could not, given a four-run lead and a five-to-three lead, you know, after the Royals hit twice, uh, couldn't hold it, and still looking for his first victory uh, back in a Royals uniform. Let's talk about this forty-game thing, though, um, Sam. Is, is is that a you know? Are we at a point the the, the quarter point of the season? Is, is that a is that a fair milestone? part uh, you know part of the calendar for an evaluation of this team well i i think that um we could determine earlier where the season was headed and i think that the royals told us that it was no longer their evaluation point when they fired terry bradshaw before that we even hit the 40 games um so yeah i mean it, it makes sense that you know it, i understand the concept right it's to not overreact too early in the season um but you know, when you're where the Royals are and, and you know, sort of mid-rebuild, we all think they should be a little bit further in that progression maybe this year than what they've shown. I think you do have to evaluate some things earlier with some players, and you do have to be patient, even more patient than the 40-game mark with others. You know, Bobby Witt's a great example. MJ Melendez is a great example. 
I don't think we should be making any determinations on where their seasons are headed because these are their first 40 games in the major leagues. Um, but there's other guys, you know, the, the Carlos Santana's of the world that the Royals probably need to be making determinations based after 40 games to see where is this guy headed and how does he fit into a future of a rebuild? I, I think we can agree it's not a playoff team that we're looking at with the with the Royals. And um, in fact, uh, their percentage, their winning percentage of 351 right now, if they maintain that throughout the year, would their final, they'd be at 55 and 107 and set a franchise record for losses. And you know, as even though the Royals haven't turned a winning record in several years, I don't think anybody expected this kind of start for for this team. So um, if this season isn't about making the playoffs and, and making the postseason, what does it need to be about, uh, Vahe? What, 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 um, uh, or is it too early to make that determination that, that, that this, that, that it's not, that the season is not salvageable and, um, uh, and, and maybe injuries have, have played too big a role and you got to get some guys back and where, where do you, how do you feel about this? Uh, I feel like um, I've got some movement here in the kitchen that I wasn't looking for. Uh, so I'm a little distracted. Hang on. <laughs> um, listen, I, I, you're asking exactly the crux of the question, right? I mean, here they are um, in this, in this place already where it's almost impossible to see them extricating themselves from this, but you're also right. There've been a couple, couple key injuries. There's certainly been a couple underperforming veterans uh, and, most of all, we're kind of in this bubbling transition mode, waiting to see what five, six, seven, eight guys are ultimately going to do. So I think, Blair, to your point, um, it it probably is more about trying to flip this switch and look look to accelerate um, what what they think the future is. And that might mean some trading some resources, trading some some guys that that uh it maybe you don't want to part with to enhance the future, but also being really realistic about, Hey, I don't want to pick on Carlos Santana, but that's a pretty decent example, realistic about what, what space he's holding here um, and how that could be a domino and some other development. One of the things that's always a little complicated with this situation is that we know in general, but also that the Royals in particular kind of like to, to set a, a fairly um, deliberate pace with their up-and-comers. Um, I, I mean, we're seeing a couple guys getting their their berths in the major league now, but those guys were really advanced. Um, there's a couple players that are certainly doing well enough or have shown enough moments that you'd like to see them here, but I think typically the Royals don't want to flood the zone with that kind of thing, and that's I think that's an interesting question for them. But right now, I mean, everything's being, you know, when you're not, when you're not a very good team, you keep finding ways to lose. And that's what's happened the last couple of days where their, their two best relievers couldn't hold that lead in the end. And their most, I think you call Greinke their most consistent starter um, didn't put them in a position to win. And, and this is the kind of thing that's happening right now. And I, it's one of those, the status quo is not working situations. Blair, just uh, I think that the Royals have to be making determinations on what best sets them up so they're not 14 and 27 in 2023. 
And that means, you know, right now they've, they've sort of been aided to go that route based on guys who are on, you know, the COVID list and the injury list. Um, so Kyle Isbell's getting a lot of at-bats. Michael Taylor's out. Um, MJ Melendez is getting a lot of bats. Salvi and Cam Gallagher are out. Um, but those guys need to get regular at-bats even when those other players return. And I, I realize you've got to play Salvi every day when he's back. But MJ Melendez has to find his way into the lineup somehow. Because it's it's at this point when you're 14 and 27, the question has to become what best sets these guys up for the future. Um, and and Lynn and I had a, a phone conversation about this yesterday. What are the ways that they can best set themselves up for the future? And as he mentioned, one of the things that that would be difficult about that is that you might lose more games that route than than you otherwise would if you're trying to win every day. And is that something the Royals are comfortable with doing? Well, and it also sets back the rebuilding timetable, doesn't it? Uh, you basically punt 2022, and this was a year. I don't. Nothing was promised, but it was supposed to be a year of improvement to build on a 74 and 88 record from last year, win a few more games, edge closer to 500, if not 500, and it maybe set you, you know, set you, your team up for a you know a playoff run in 2023. I'm not saying something like a, you know a, an overhaul this season is impossible. Look at what the Minnesota Twins have done. Um, the Royals finished fourth in the AL Central last year ahead of the Minnesota Twins, and the Twins have shot by everybody in the division this year. Just to, you know, I've I've long admired the Twins organization for for many reasons, and um, and this this year adds another chapter to that. Um, Look at the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks won 100 or lost 110 games last year, and they're flirting. You know, they're around 500 this year. I know it's early, but they've passed their 40 game mark, and uh, they've got to be happy with the progress they've made there. But the Royals have taken a step back. There's no doubt about it this year, and it's you know it's it's it's. I think it's time to reset and recalibrate. And so, what is that going to look like? What what um, what what steps could be taken? And, um, you know, if we had to look at maybe a, a post all-star break ideal lineup for the Royals, what, what might it look like? Lynn, do you want, you want to take a stab at that? Excuse me one second. Okay. Um, I guess if you're, if you're looking towards the future, um, one of the things when you start getting towards the trade deadline, names that you start wondering if they're still here, you guys mentioned Carlos Santana. Um, Andrew Benintendi is in the last year of his contract and is put, putting up some really good numbers. Uh, and he's also plays that outfield spot where you're probably, you know, the outfields where you're going to probably get some of these at-bats for guys, whether that's Kyle Isbell, whether that's MJ Melendez when he's not catching and you're not at DH, whether that means, you know, you can get Hunter Dozier out there and maybe one of the guys that you're talking about bringing up is playing at first base. And so the Dozier's out there or at DH. Um, so the outfield spots are going to be one of those places where you might be able to make some rooms for the young, a room for the young guys to get at bats. Um, and then it becomes, you know, whether or not in this, the, the pitching realm, if you start moving some of those guys, just because you want to get to, you know, some of these other guys to, to get regular starts. I mean, right now you are getting some guys regular starts, but if, you know, right now, Bubich and Hernandez are down in the minors. If you feel like you need to move them up and they're ready to be moved up, right now you've got a full rotation. Does that mean you're taking another one of the young guys out or are you moving somebody else to make them make room for them? Um, so, I mean, and then 
also, I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to go this route. I know the Royals have stayed away from it. Um, but Whit Merrifield's another guy that, you know, veteran type guy. Um, he's his flexibility gives you a lot of room, but if you take him out of the equation, then maybe that means um more spots again for at bats for some of these younger guys. Um, but as Sam was alluding to, I'm not sure that I mean, I I don't there, it's hard to make the case that that's gonna make you a better team this year. So the people who are, you know, sort of shouting at the the moon about the, you know, the record this year, that doesn't get better when you throw in all the young guys. I, you know, I mean, even Bobby Witt, who, you know, is their best guy and who's who's played well, I think his average now is around 220. And he's the best one, supposedly. So if you bring up all those young guys and there's the learning curve when you first get to the majors, no matter who you are, um, the record doesn't get better this year if you're doing that. That, that has to be, as Sam was talking about, a move to try and avoid this type of a start next year. Uh, and I'm just not sure if the Royals are ready to do that yet, at what point they will be. I mean, I think once they get out of contention, then that's when you start looking at that sort of things usually. Um, but I guess, I mean, it could be a case to be made that maybe that needs to start earlier. Bahe, you used the term uh, flip the switch. I remember, uh, I remember hearing that about a decade or so ago with the Royals. And you know what? A decade or so ago, it worked. Uh, the Royals did flip the switch in, I think, it was, I want to say it was 2011. It, uh, yeah. So you, you weren't here then, but I know you've written about it. And uh, remind us what happened then. Well, part of it, it really, it, it was sort of uh, embodied in Eric Cosmer, but it was really, you know, emblematic or whatever term you'd use of, of the whole movement when it was sort of a critical mass time to move Hosmer up and they they were they were sort of in a what are what are they waiting for mode now what's interesting about that is obviously it, it ultimately took to great effect but it was not uh what was that old story they used to tell about cool papa bell that he could run uh that you could turn off the light switch and uh he'd get in bed uh in between the time the switch was turned and the time he got in bed it wasn't fast like that uh it was you know some wiring that was a little little different <laughs> Um, but I think it, it said the future is now. And it was, you know, with that came uh, Moustakas and Perez. I can't remember who was first in that sequence, but um, all those guys. But that was 2011. 2013 was the, the next winning season. Now, the parallels aren't perfect, but the concept, I think, is is sort of what we're talking about. In bed before it got dark, I believe, is what uh, Cool Pump Bill did. But I'll, I'll take it one step further. I remember, I remember the flip the switch idea in 2011, and then being uh, really disappointed in the Royals in 2012. That was the year that they were hosting the All Star Game. Uh, that was the year the team slogan was "Our Time," you know, prom basically promising some results, and it was not the Royals' time. And uh, uh, very disappointing season which led to uh, the 2013 turnaround that prompted Dayton Moore to say, this feels like winning the World Series. He was only two years ahead of his time when he said that, but and, and it obviously caused some ripples when he, when he said it. But I, I find it interesting that uh, 2011 was absolutely a transition year. 2012 was uh, disappointing in the results. People were really ready for a winner. And then we saw, the, then we saw it start to happen in 2013. So... All right, guys, let's let's take a break and hear from the University of Kansas Health System. March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. 
we were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. We're back on Sportsbeat KC with Sportsbeat Live, I should say, with Sam McDowell Linworthy and Vod Gregorian. We're talking Royals. Uh, send us your questions and comments, and please talk Royals with us. Let's let's get to a couple of uh, players. Uh, we mentioned Brady Singer earlier. Lynn, what has changed with Brady Singer, who has gone uh, in his last two starts, seven innings, no runs, total of 12 strikeouts. I want to say three walks, but uh, the, the best Brady Singer has looked in a Royals uniform. Well, I think the you hit on the right uh, phrase there with change, as in the changeup has, uh, you know, been the major thing that I think people had been sort of, um, you know, beating their heads about for a couple of years now is his unwillingness to throw that pitch, um, his maybe stubbornness to to rely on fastball slider, and um, just the the inability to. Um, produce consistent results with just those two pitches. Um, we've seen it in stretches. We've seen it, you know, in some outstanding outings. Um, you know, there's that uh, no hitter he took into the eighth in Cleveland. Um, so you'd seen flashes, but um, it just hadn't been all put together. And then when he went down to the minors after having been in the bullpen, um, he it lit a little bit of a fire in him, it seems like. Yeah, for sure. I, he, he, Absolutely seemed to be motivated when he came back, and uh, you know the, the fact that you know, he's throwing the changeup, and teammates reminded him of the changeup with that little present in the locker room, the the Baseball America headline. I thought that was pretty amusing. I hope he found it amusing. It, um, it was amusing, by the way, but also, Lynn, um, what did you do with it? Brady Singer handed it to you, the Baseball America. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have it in Arizona, but I still have it somewhere. So yeah, it's. Uh, I think. Um, Cause I had asked, you know, it was hanging there and I said, so what, what, what magazine is that? What's on the cover of that? Just, you know, being uh, a little curious about it. And he just yanked it down and said, here you go. <laughs> and just handed it to me. Um, so, yeah, I said, I, I guess, well, I'll just hold on to that. That might be an artifact, you know, when, uh, when he goes into the uh, Royals hall of fame one day, here we go. The, the infamous change up magazine. Get him to sign it and offer it to charity. That might, um, that might be the thing to do with it. So, um, so Sam, is there, can we, can we squint a little bit and see a, a future Royals rotation, uh, of Brady Singer and Brad Keller and, and Lynch, um, as the, as the foundation for that, uh, maybe in the next, next couple of years. And, and if so, who, who might we see 
uh, added to that and, and to round it out and complete it. Unmute yourself, Sam. As bad as Sunday was, the, you could actually argue it was more positive than negative because Brady Singer looked that good on Sunday. And if you have already recognized that this team is probably not going to be in playoff contention and winning 70 games is not all that different than winning 71. Um, you know, I mean, I think the one guy on Sunday that you would have liked to have thrown or performed well would have been Brady Singer. Um, so, you know, this was a guy that two weeks ago, you know, this town had decided was a bust. And now all of a sudden Brady Singer is throwing as well as anybody in the rotation. Um, but for in order for the Royals to complete this rebuild, those three guys you mentioned, Blair, have to be part of the rotation. And, you know, I think other guys are probably need to come from that 2018 draft class. You know, it d doesn't mean you can't go sign somebody. I mean, in 14-15 when the Royals built this thing up, they acquired all their pitching basically outside the organization. Now, you know, they, they've got – Jonathan Heasley, I think, has something. He's good with his command. I think, you know, he'll get hit harder when his stuff does land in the zone um, than some of these other guys. Um, <laughs> uh, you wonder about, uh, you know, what what Bubich and Co are, you know, whether or not those guys can, can come back in the way that Brady Singer has. Um, you know, I think he's offered them an example and a lesson um, that a demotion to the minor leagues doesn't have to be uh, you know, what a, a sour point in the season, but, but rather can just be a blip in, in the radar. So um, I, Dayton Moore obviously made that point last week, and we may have talked about it on the show about the fact that he takes some some ownership of Brady Singer's route to the pros, brought him up too early. Um, but you still have these guys under, under team control for four, and in some case five, in some case six years. Um, so you've got time to still develop these guys, even though they are 24, 25 years old. And again, you know, just to, to, to put a bow on that, the the future of their their rebuild depends on developing those particular players we're talking about. You mentioned the 14 and 15 teams. One of my favorite notes about that group was Yordano Ventura was the only starting pitcher who started games in the 14 and 15 postseasons. Um, completely overhauled the rotation in those years. So, um, yes, it absolutely can be done with uh, uh, by acquiring pitching. Um, Carrie asks, Lynn, we'll give this to you. How many years away is Asa Lacey? Well, I guess that depends on whether or not they're willing to rush him as well, um, given what you know Sam just said and Dayton's comments about them having rushed um, both Brady Singer and Chris Bubich. Um, but I think he's probably still a couple years away. I mean, Remember, his first season, if you want to call it that, was the pandemic year. So that wasn't really a year where um, he had full baseball, either at the college level or at the professional level. So last year was the first year in the minors. Um, as much as everybody wants to say, oh, well, he, he pitched in the SEC, so he must have been at a higher level, it ain't, it ain't professional baseball. And then when you add in the fact that, you know, you had – a lot of your season wiped out and all of your first professional year wiped out. You, you got to slow that down. So I don't think he's a guy who's on the radar for next year, but I wouldn't be surprised if after that, or if he, you know, maybe puts himself in contention at some point next year to be, you know, um, on the cusp. But I mean, they've got some other guys in the minors who are probably in that next level, you know, above him anyway, whether that's uh, Alec Marsh or Drew Parrish or, you know, some of these guys who've been in the system a little bit and who have you know had a little more experience in pro ball. 
you know, another prospect that we, you know, we're hearing a lot about these days is Vinny Pasquatino, the first baseman slash DH in Omaha. He's not on the 40 man roster. So what are, uh, what would it take to get uh, Vinny some major league at bats, Lynn? Well, I think um, um, I'm stealing the comment from, I think it was a, uh, uh, Flanny used to always use this one. I think it was a Dave Island one. Uh, and I'm, uh, apologize if I'm getting the wrong name, but it's like, there's no room on the 40, man. Give me five minutes. I'll make room on the 40. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, if, if they felt like that was a pressing issue, then, you know, you, whether that means um, dealing somebody or uh, designating somebody for assignment, but you, you'd have to make a move on the 40, man, to put him on and then you could put him in. But again, it's, as we t- Referring back to earlier conversation, you got to make sure he's going to get at bats. You got to make sure there's regular playing time for him. You got to make sure there's a spot for him. It's not just get him on the roster, bring him up so you can say he's in the big leagues. You you got to get him time to see what he can do and adjust to this level. Um, but I mean, sure. I mean, I don't want to you know throw anybody overboard, but it's you know if you make a deal or if you you know um, if you decide that you're going to bring somebody like him up or Nick Prado. That's probably the end, marks the end for somebody like Carlos Santana. Um, so that's probably where that spot comes from if you decide to move that way. Right. The Royals have done this in the past under Dayton Moore. They have, um, you know, they have uh, DFA'd uh, players. Uh, Omar Infante, I remember in 2016, who was, you know, contributed to the, especially to the 2014 run and still had a couple years left on his contract, was, was DFA'd. So it has happened. In Royals history, I guess they have to determine, you know, different circumstances then. The Royals were still in contention and were looking to, um, you know, to, to stay, uh, to, to, to compete for, for postseason spots. That's not the case this year. But, um, but you know, I, I think I certainly in, in, in Royals fandom, they, they want to see the future. And the future isn't Carlos Santana or Ryan O'Hearn at this, at this point. So, um all right, guys. I think we I think we covered uh, the depressing Royals about as well as we can here. Um, uh, the, the series continues tonight uh, in in Arizona, uh, but they stay on the road. If I if I think right, four with Minnesota, three with Cleveland. Lynn. Is that is that where they go from here? Yeah, um, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Minnesota. So you have four, and then Cleveland. There you go. All right. So they one off day tomorrow. Get the first off day in forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the um, that's another thing that I mean. I I asked a couple guys about it this past week, and nobody wants to sort of go there because they feel like it's an excuse. But this is also the end of a stretch of 19 games in 17 days for them between the doubleheaders and rainouts and things getting moved around. Yeah, it has been a busy, uh, a busy stretch for the Royals, and of course, it was all condensed because the season started later, also. So it naturally was was compressed. Um, uh, just just complicating matters for for the Royals. So, all right, you guys, uh, many thanks for the conversation, Sam McDowell, Bob Hagerborian, and Lynn Worthy. Monty Davis was great uh, spinning the dials and producing today's show. And thank you for your. Uh, questions, comments, and attention. We'll be back next Tuesday on another edition of Sportsbeat Live. That'll do it for today. Thanks to Monty Davis, who produced the broadcast and the podcast and every other cast that we have. 
along with Sportsbeat KC production team of Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett, Tim of the Captain, Vahe Gregorian, Sam McDowell, and Lynn Worthy for sharing their insights. I enjoyed a follow-up story on the PGA, game coverage of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and French Open in today's Morning Sports Edition. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat Kansas City.